Hello, everyone. Good to see you. Good to see you. I think I can see you. We're um, coming near an end to our Desire series. I think it finishes next week. We've been on the journey for a month. And I think last time I spoke here, I talked about God's desire. God's desire for us to live the good life in a good world, doing good stuff, good works, the good life. By now, you should really have a definition of that. Is that right? Doing it God's way, with harmony, with peace, with satisfaction, with abundance, with a real sense of it is well in myself, with God, and with you, and you, and the other, whoever the other are. Welcome to those online. When everyone came in tonight, they were given an olive leaf, an olive branch, just a bit of a branch actually, with some olive leaves. And you all got one? You all got one of these when you came in? Yeah? Yeah. I'm sorry that uh, those online can't have one. We have not yet perfected technology so you can reach out and grab it. Okay, one day, no doubt, that will happen. But not in my time. Not in my time. I need a 13-year-old to live with me to help me use my iPhone. But never mind. That's another story. God's desire for us is to live the good life, to be in relationship with him. Our desires are not necessarily wrong. God gifts us with desire. I think that's beautiful. So desires are wholesome. They're good. The trouble is when our desires become an obsession and we want to do it our way, do it my way. When we decide to define good and evil, my way. So the good life, as defined by God, is the call for us to live with how he defines this life for us. Last week, we celebrated Easter. I cannot believe that it's only a week ago and all that chocolate's gone. Never mind. <laughs> good life. Easter celebrated last week. And it's because of Easter, because of Easter that we can today reclaim the good life individually and have God living within and helping us to live that way. There's a scripture that's come up there from Corinthians. Easter reclaiming the possibility of us being able to live the good life again because Jesus, is it there? Not on the screen? <laughs> it's in front of me. Nowhere. Okay. Listen well to this one, Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 3 says, Jesus, who died for our sins, according to Scripture, according to the Scriptures. Now, this was written by Paul before we had the newer part of our Bible. So all this Old Testament stuff, all the older part of the Bible that you find really difficult to read, and so do I, and sometimes I think, oh no, I'm up to Corinthians, I'm up to Samuel again, I'm up to Kings, I'm up to Chronicles, oh no, names and battles and wars and failure. But you know, in this older part, they were the scriptures that Jesus had and that Paul had. And according to this older part, Jesus died 
for our sin. And so that's the backstory of Easter. And then he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance to what we read in the older part of the scriptures, the backstory. So if you really ever want to know why Jesus died, you will get 50 different answers from 50 different Christians, but the backstory is in the Old Testament there. He appeared. That means people saw him, and there's a list of all these people. So because of Easter, we can live the good life, and we can uh, put our desires together with God, and we don't have to make a mess of it. Remember last week, Christy dressed up in thousands of coats. Is that right? She had coats. And, you know, no one should really speak with a coat on. It's a hindrance. It really is. It's heavy. You shouldn't really have one. But Christy gave us... Oh, I've got a dresser today. That's good. Christy gave us this one last week. Do you remember what she did with this? What she talked about? Wearing Jesus. Wearing Christ. Who was here last week with all the coats? So you've got it? She, she put this... Following Jesus is light. It's not burdensome. It's not heavy. It's not always messy. It's not always difficult. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is life, light. I want you to know this. There is no reason why any Christian should go through life with a heaviness that's so hard sometimes to get out of bed in the morning. We will feel sadness, we will feel, feel sorrow, we will be disappointed, things will go wrong, things will be messy and sometimes chaotic. But Jesus says, he will carry us and the burden is light. And his way of putting our desires with his desires is, believe it or not, easy. It's in four little words, four little letters, O-B-E-Y, obey or trust. So today I'm going to look at some ponderings and we're going to look at a little book in the New Testament later on. But I want you to think, sometimes when someone's speaking out here, I'm thinking about something they said and then I miss everything else. But tonight you're allowed to just go away in your imagination for a while. Imagine this, imagine that you had a friend that you laughed with, played with, enjoyed, that was really good. You couldn't wait to be with this friend or this employer or this person. And then something happened. Something happened. There was a betrayal, a lack of trust, a gossip, a slander, a bullying. You know, she got with another lot of friends and started talking about you and social media was saying all this ugly stuff about you. And you stop speaking. You avoid it. And then one Sunday, you're sitting in a very crowded auditorium. And you're sitting there, worship songs. You're in the mosque, but you know, you're really enjoying it. And then you see that person. And you think, oh. well, what do you think? What comes to mind? What are you going to do? Has it happened to you? 
think about the next scene, because that's not the end. At the end of the service, someone, a friend who knows you, comes over and says to you, hey, here's your, you know, your ex-friend. And they say they know you, and this person has been coming to Alpha, coming to youth group, and this person now is a follower of Jesus and waiting to be baptized. You want to come to the baptism and celebrate, and you're going to say, and you're going to stand there and... What? (laughs) You know what an olive branch is a symbol for? If I pass an olive branch to someone, it really means that I am taking the initiative to say to this person, whom we may have had this abrupt conversation with, a believer in Jesus, a believer, and I'm taking the first step towards a harmonious relationship, peace. Now this person can throw it on the ground, can not accept it or can accept and there can be that sense of renewal again. We both passed. And so we have enacted out a harmonious relationship. But I couldn't do that until God had worked in my heart. So we're going to look at a story in the Bible from the shortest chapter in the New Testament, and Tom is going to come out and read it for us. And you can follow, I think it'll be on the screen, and he's going to read Philemon for us. Thanks, Andy. All right. I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to, to to Phemon, our dear brother and co-worker, to Alphia, our sister, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in, that, in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. When I remember you in my prayers, I always thank my God because I hear of your love for all the saints and your faith towards the Lord Jesus. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective when you perceive or when you perceive all the good that we may do for Christ. I have indeed received much joy and encouragement from your love because of the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, my brothers. For this reason, for I am bold enough in Christ to con- commend you to do your duty, yet I, will, I would rather appeal to you on the basis of love. And I, Paul, do this as an old man. I know also as a prisoner, and, and, and now I also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I'm appealing to you for my child. Anonymous, who, father I, who, father I have become during my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful, both to you and to me. I'm sending him, that is my own heart, back to you. I wanted to keep him with me, so that he might be of service to me in your place during my imprisonment for, for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your counsel, in order that your, that your good deed might be voluntary and not something forced. Perhaps this is the reason he was separated from you for a while, so that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, 
both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, welcome. Welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I repay it. I have nothing about I say nothing about your owing me even your own benefit, even your own self. I say nothing about your owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, let me have this benefit from the, you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I'm writing to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. One more thing, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping through your prayers to be restored to you. Ephesus, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greeting to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, and Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Great. Thanks. Let's pray. Thank you for this little word to us tonight. Spirit of the living God, touch my heart, touch the heart of each of us so that we can become more like Jesus, wearing Jesus publicly so that others know that we belong to you. Be with us, Spirit of God. Amen. This is a short little book. Uh, sometimes, you know, we skip over it pretty quickly. But I reckon, because I've lived and breathed and read this, uh, this little book now for about three weeks, I reckon I could give you ten sermons on it. I reckon I could. And, uh, but I won't do that because God has used this little book from my heart. So I'm just going to pick up a few things about this book tonight. Paul obviously is writing it from prison. We're not sure which prison he's in. He's writing to a friend called Philemon. Now you can call him Philemon or Philemon as uh, rhyming with Pokemon. Philemon, okay? Doesn't really matter. Depends whether you're American or Australian. But I'm going to call him Philemon, I hope, consistently. Now, Philemon was a very wealthy man, but he too had discovered Jesus Christ when he lived in Colossae. And there's a book written to the Church of Colossians, and that would have been where Philemon was with another man called Epaphras. And these two had formed the church, led the church, and the church was meeting there in one of the homes of Archippus, the church in your home, one of the soldiers. So we've got soldiers, rich men, poor men, the whole lot there meeting. Now, we don't really know what happened about this story, this Philemon. You notice that there's no big theological words in it. There's nothing here that's difficult to understand. Paul, for once, is not writing about the death and resurrection and crucifixion of Jesus and what it means for us. He's not preaching. He's writing a letter out of deep love and compassion. You see, Philemon had a problem, a very big problem. You have a problem. I have a problem. The church today has a very big problem. And we would be 
unwise if we did not acknowledge that. It would be foolish. So let's look at Philemon's problem. As I said, possibly led to Jesus by Paul, baptized with him, called a co-worker, called a partner. And whatever relationship was there, this is what Paul wrote about Philemon. He said, I, Paul, say nothing about you, Philemon, owing me your very own self. Philemon owed his life to Paul. I'm suggesting that it was probably his salvation, his new life, his transformation life, taught by Paul. We have that in verse 19. I say nothing about you owing me, Paul, your own self. He was a friend, a co-worker. He was right there. He had a slave called Onesimus. Onesimus, as a slave, was his property. Now, I have no idea, and the scripture doesn't say it, it's not written there, but something happened, great conflict between Onesimus' slave and the wealthy landowner, owner of slaves. And there was such a bad conflict. Maybe Onesimus stole something. Maybe there was a whole lot of discontent, but it was a very sharp conflict. And Onesimus ran away. And he ran away and he ran into Paul. Wouldn't that be marvelous? You run away and you run into the right person. And so here's Paul. And Paul, of course, can't help himself. So he introduces him to Jesus. And guess what? Onesimus becomes a totally different person. He too discovers that Father God, the God of Paul, the God of Philemon, is now the God of Onesimus. They're all in the family, and they all, all call the same God, Father God. So according to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Onesimus obviously has repented of his sin, confessed his wrongdoing, and his life has been transformed because the spirit of the living God lives within him. And so now they're in the family of God, beloved saints, dear brothers, co-workers, partners, you name it. When we read this little book and a lot of the other books that Paul wrote, we never get a working essay on slavery. He doesn't mention it. Uh, but this is now Philemon's issue. You see, in those days, the social structure and the economic structure of the whole of empire was because of the works the slave did at slave prices, okay? They held the economy together, and the social structure made that possible. Have you got that? They were the workers. They were not considered human. They were considered property. You were owned by the slave owner. They were supposed to give you a place to live. If you're married, they were supposed to look after your wife and children who also became slaves. 
and you got food to eat, and if it was a good owner, you had a really all right life. Did you know if you were a teacher, you were possibly a slave? If you were a doctor, you were possibly a slave? And so I need to look at the social structure just of the Roman Empire at this stage. There were citizens and non-citizens. There were people who were the aristocracy and there were the plebs, like you and me. We weren't rich, we didn't have the wealth, we weren't born into a powerful family. That was just a small percentage, by the way, but it's true today that it's still that small percentage. They were the people that um, had the power and the prestige. There were soldiers in the pay of the government and often they didn't get enough, so there was corruption there. There were slaves and freemen. And sometimes the slaves were better off than the freemen because the freedmen did not have employment. And sometimes they were the crowds that you could hire, the mobs that called out, crucify him, crucify him. And so we have this social structure and the workers were the slaves. According to the law, if a slave ran away, the owner could completely kill him or punish him badly, get rid of him because it's property, it's not a person, it's just someone making money. Now, here's Philemon's problem. Was he going to act according to the law and order of the land, according to the custom and the culture, or was he going to behave like Jesus? Was he going to wear Jesus? What would Jesus do? Remember, Jesus came to radically change our world. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. When he preached his very first sermon, Jesus said, and I'm bringing good news to the poor. I'm setting prisoners free. I'm releasing, I'm healing. I'm there. And so we have this problem. What will Philemon do? We have a problem. Do we follow culture, custom, law, the people around us, or do we behave like Jesus? So the main, when I look at the main message of Philemon, it's just a little letter, Paul writing to a friend saying, behave like Jesus. This is how believers are supposed to live. This is how you and I and everyone around are supposed to live. And Paul, as an older man, he says, gently and very courageously appeals to Philemon. So if you want to know how Christians live, keep studying and reading this book over and over and over again. You know, when I studied it, I actually wrote every word out by hand. I tried to memorize it. I looked at the repeated words, at relationships. That's how we find out what is the message. You got it? You want to know a message of a little passage of scripture? That's what you do. That's what you do. You let it go inside you, and then it can come out. This book is a demonstration of the gospel at work in the believer. It's written there a demonstration 
of the gospel at work in the life of the believer. And as such, it needs to be a demonstration of your life and of my life and the life of the Door of Hope Christian community. Remember, I'm saying it's believers. It's the church. It's you, the ones that say, I'm a follower. People need to look at you and say, that person behaves like Jesus. So here's an invite to take Jesus very, very seriously. If I really believe this, if I believe God lives in me, if I believe that Jesus came to turn the world upside down, I need to take this seriously, to do the loving thing, to forgive, to hand out an olive branch, to not take offense, to not be conformed to this world. Now, you know and I know that each one of us in this room has hurt another at some stage. And probably each one in this room has been hurt by another. Would that be true? We've hurt another and we've been hurt. That is not how we're meant to live, regardless of how we hurt another. Some of us have been victims, some of us have not. But we are to live as if Jesus was truly living within us. So here's Paul saying, I'm sending Onesimus back. I'm risking his life, my reputation, on the character of Philemon. Will Philemon do the right thing? Last week, we heard a word made up by Christy. Can you remember that word? It's not in the dictionary. I couldn't find it, but she made it up, so it must be a real word. It's called re-relationships. What happens when Jesus gets into us and we have relationships? And another little study of Philemon is looking at all the words that Christians are called in this book. We are called brother and sister. We are called beloved. Can you look at the eye? of someone in this room, of everyone who calls themselves Christian, not just your spouse or your girlfriend or your boyfriend, and say, you are beloved. You are a beloved friend. You are the beloved of God. You are loved. I see Jesus in you. I see you wearing Jesus. It's a challenge, isn't it? So brother, sister, beloved, saints, co-workers, fellow soldiers, fellow prisoners, partners, friends. Paul had such a relationship with Onesimus because he was now in his old age, he could say, you're like a son to me. So here's what's happening. This is what happens in the kingdom of God. This is what needs to be happening in the church, among us now. Social structure gone, no longer power and prestige, no longer racial difference no longer economic difference, no longer gender differences. We all need to be aware that in this kingdom of God, we all enter via the cross, whether we're rich, poor, whether we're well-educated or not, whether we're black, pink, white, purple, or whatever, whatever our gender or whatever identity we take, whatever is there, every single one enters the kingdom of God the same via Jesus. You got that? And we all end up living eternally 
eternally with God or eternally without God. We are forgiven. So here is love, acceptance, and a family knit together. And in my life, I know that God forgives me. Sometimes it's really hard for me to get that into my heart. God forgives me, and then I blow it, and I do it again, and I feel as though I have to do something to prove that I'm sorry, but I don't. I just have to confess it and say, forgive me, Lord. But as we journey with God, we discover it's more. I forgive as I am forgiven, forgive me God, as I forgive others. That's what we pray in what is called the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins as I forgive the other. I'm just gonna add a little story here. I was a victim of um, abuse very early in my life. And I, like most people in my age and growing up, we hid it and we got on with life as if nothing was wrong. But I found it very, very hard to believe that I could be loved or could love. Trust was broken. And I remember later on in life where God was calling me to believe that he could heal me completely. It was a long journey, but he could. I got help. And that I could eventually forgive this person. Unfortunately for me, I could never express that forgiveness to the other because this person had passed away. But you know how I know I've forgiven and I've forgiven that person? Because no bad words come out of my mouth about that person. That's how I know that I've forgiven this person. So if I hear people talking about this person, I don't have to say anything because I have forgiven as God has forgiven me. I've got a little bit of a way to go yet, if that's all right. Uh, we are forgiven. A special word is used in this passage about partnership, koinonia. It's there twice. And that simply means in a partnership with Christ, co-partners working with him, we all have equal status. If there's two of us, it's 50-50. If it's three of us, it's 33, it's a third, okay? If it's a thousand, we are all equal co-partners. I cannot treat you differently or better than. And this is the challenge that was given to our dear friend Philemon. Can you treat your slave as an equal, as a co-partner, as a beloved brother. So here is forgiveness demonstration demonstrated. But giving an olive branch is more than forgiveness. Forgiveness is very private between me and God. And I forgive the other person. And it's not good enough for me to go up to someone and say, I forgive you, Wayne, but you shouldn't have done that. Is that forgiveness? That's me blaming him, okay? All I need to say is, Wayne, I'm sorry. I forgive you. Can you forgive me? And that's just a simple acceptance. But I can't do that 
until I know God has forgiven me. Until there's that real sense within me that I am forgiven and I forgive. And then I can pass the olive branch because forgiveness is private between us, but reconciliation is very public. It's a very public thing where people who were hostile to each other can now publicly be seen together in harmony and in peace. So we are partners. We are partners. Now, if I take Jesus seriously, this is how you and I are called to give, to live. It's called the life of love. It's called wearing Jesus. It's called being forgiveness. It's not easy by myself, but we've got partners to do it with. We can encourage the other to do the right thing, just like Paul is writing to Philemon saying, do the right thing, do the right thing. It's always a risk that they won't. Our world is messy, our world is fragile, our world is chaotic, and you live in it and I live in it. But we, you and me, the followers of Jesus, we are the body of Christ. Yes, we are a people called to live like Jesus on earth. Yes, we are a forgiven people. Hallelujah. We are called to forgive. Yes, we are partners. We are family. We are beloved saints. Yes, we are. And how beautiful would it be if the people out there, instead of having bad stuff to say about the church, they said, they love each other. There was a writer in the first couple of years after Jesus died, a couple of um, hundreds of second century, Philemon the Younger, he wrote these words, and it's in document to this day. He said, I don't understand these Christians, but boy, do they love one another. Wouldn't that be great if that's what others said about us? Oh, Lord, may it be. Jesus said, they will know you and come to Jesus if they see love in action, like Philemon was asked to. So collectively, let us live like Jesus. But here's my last pondering. You remember we had two? This last one. He doesn't say it yet. Do you reckon Philemon welcomed Onesimus back and forgave him? What do you think? You go home and read it and see if you can find out whether he did. Put it on social media. Tell your friend. Give them some good news. Did Onesimus lose his life? God's desire for you. Hand out some olive branches. Make restitution. Forgive. Love. Is there someone that you need to give this to? Take it home. Put it in your Bible so that when you read it, it reminds you that you're called to forgive and to be forgiven. Sorry if you haven't got a hard copy, but you can get one and photo of it if you like. But carry it around. Will I forgive. Do you have the courage to take Jesus seriously? Amen.